The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them in the hand, into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive that Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Whenever Israel planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to camp them or their camels as they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from all the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hands of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abazinite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Well, we're in our series today looking at my hero of the faith, and our hero today is Gideon. Um, Gideon is this character that we read about in Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7, and he's also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Fame, people of faith who are commended to us. And um, the idea of this series is actually that um, sometimes we read scripture because of um, the words that are written which are commended to us as examples to our lives, but also the Bible commends people to us to look at, not in perfection, but actually in their imperfection, but to see how they fared and followed with God, what the outcome was, and that how, from considering their lives, we might all the better follow God in ours. Gideon, of course, is the modern namesake of a massive organisation called Gideon's International, uh, an evangelical Christian organisation founded in 1899, uh, which distributes uh, free copies of the Bible, uh, often in hotels, uh, in hospitals, um, prisons and schools. I remember uh, when the Gideons visited my school uh, when I was uh, 12 or 13 and I was given a copy of the New Testament 
Um, I'm not proud to say at that point me and my mates went through it with a ballpoint pen to see if we could make it say rude things. Um, I've probably still got my Gideon Bible somewhere. Ironic that my job is now teaching uh, the Bible. I wonder how much uh, the Gideons had a little influence on me in making me aware that there was a Bible to read, uh, to know about God. Uh, Gideon, of course, um, because of this story, has also become a word associated with the success in military of a small force against a big force. Uh, uh, so it's a bit like the, uh, the Spartan uh, victory in uh, Thermopylae. Uh, if you've seen the film The 300, that's a kind of dramatised version of that uh, famous battle in uh, 480 BC where 300 soldiers uh, fought against an army of thousands. I think mostly died actually, but you know, fought for a long time really well before dying. Um, uh, it's, it was the name of one of the uh, foreigners to British Special Forces. So in the Second World War in the East Africa campaign, there was a, something called Gideon Force, an elite small band of soldiers who fought against big oppressing uh, armies. Uh, so the Gideons, the idea of small fighting against big. And Gideon is even the name of a supervillain in Marvel Comics. I did not know that, but discovered that in researching this talk this week. Gideon's name in the Bible story means uh, Baal will contend. And Baal was the local pagan god of his time, uh, the worship of Baal and the Asherah poles. Uh, and Baal was probably the, the god that Gideon's father worshipped. Gideon was the son of Jerush. Uh, who was of the Abyssinianite clan from the tribe of Manasseh. And it's thought that Gideon was very young, probably in his early 20s, um, uh, partly because of uh, the backstory and the, how many years he lived, but also the way he describes himself when he says, you know, I'm not that important, I'm kind of the least. That probably means he was the youngest in his family, and so he was propelled into this story that we began to read in that reading, probably in his very early 20s. Uh, he's called a prophet in the book of Judges in chapters 6 uh, through to 8 in the passage that we just read. And later on, after his military victory, he's called a judge of Israel, which is a specific title given to just a handful of people who were key in being the guardians, the custodians and defenders of the faith of the Israelites, kind of a mix between a kind of military and prophetic leader who defended um, uh, the people. And of course he's given that because he has this victory as, as the story unfolds uh, of leading uh, Israel to, uh, to overcome the Midianites with just a force of 300 people. And the angel that appears to him, the angel that he refers to as my Lord, um, calls him as well a mighty warrior. You can, Im you can imagine the paradox that he felt. Here he is, uh, a young nobody in the least important tribe of Israel, in what he considers the least um, clan within that tribe, and then within that clan, he considers himself to be the least important in the family. 
And yet the angel, God's representative, speaks to him and says, hello, you're a mighty warrior. God speaks to him about his future and what he's going to do. And God speaks to him in spite of who he is or even who he thinks he is. The angel literally called him into that role that he had. And of course, he, he, he did defeat the Midianites. He uh, banished from the land the, the idols and they drove the Midianites and all the other rites that were with them out of their land. And Israel once again returned to worshipping Yahweh and lived at peace without fighting. If you know the story in the book of uh, judges um, that Israel uh, flipped between times of peace and worshipping God and times of conflict uh, offering often turning to uh, worshipping other gods and uh, prior to that section that we read Israel had enjoyed probably about 40 years of peace since the victory of Deborah over Cana and the Midianites and the Amalekites uh, and then they had kind of turned away from the Lord and they were, they were losing the peace and the prosperity that was part of their prophetic inheritance because they weren't anymore focused on God. As Gideon moves forward, as he processes this thing where he's commissioned by the angel um, to go and lead an army to fight an even bigger army, he is made famous for the testing of God that he puts out. Now, as, as is the case in the Old Testament narrative, no commentary is added to whether that's right or wrong. It's for us, the readers, to decide, should he have just believed what God told him? Or was it, was it okay that he tested God and, and asked for proof upon proof that God had called him to? Um, that's for us to decide as the readers. The first was the sign from this angel. And so this angel that he meets, he says to him, hang on, before you go, I need some proof. And the angel says, well, let, let's, uh, let's make a little temple, a little altar. Uh, let's, let's bring an offering uh, to the Lord. And then the, the angel touches the offering and it's consumed with fire. And surely that's enough evidence for Gideon that this is, this is God who's speaking to him. But then he um, puts out his fleece. And if you know that that, that phrase, putting out a fleece, it's Gideon that it comes from. So he says, okay, I, I just, how about if I um, put out a fleece, like that's the fleece of a, of, a, of a sheep that's been shorn, I put it out at night, and in the morning what I want is the fleece to be wet from dew, and I want the ground to be dry. And so the angel says, that's fine, you can do that. And in the morning, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And then he says, hang on, angel, could I just, could I just have one, even just one more proof? Hang on, how about the next morning if I put the fleece out? Can the fleece be dry and the ground be wet? And so he does that. And then eventually this builds up enough confidence in Gideon that uh, he trusts God for how he's called. Uh, on, on the instruction from the angel, on God's instruction, uh, he destroys the town's idol to Baal uh, and the, um, the pole around which they would have worshipped uh, the goddess Asherah. And, uh, but so afraid he is, is he of the community and probably still his, his small and not important stature that he does it uh, at night. Perhaps he's a bit intimidated that his... His father uh, worshipped these gods or possibly even set up 
um, these idols. So he obeys the angel, but he, he obeys through a bit of fear. He does it at night when no one can see. And then he goes on to send out uh, messengers to gather men from some of the other tribes of Israel to form an army for a battle. So he sends out messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Neptali, as well as his own tribe, Manasseh. And they gather an armed force that, has, that is going to fight against the Midianites. Just when he's got this army gathered, and, it's, and if you do the sums, it's an army of probably over 30,000 men. So they're fighting a big army, but hey, he's got 30,000 Soldiers on his side, so you know he's probably got a good army to lead into battle. Um, God says, "Unfortunately, Gideon, in order to fight this battle, you've got too many soldiers. Uh, with this many men, if you go into battle and you win the battle, Israel will believe that it was victorious because of its own greatness and might. They'll claim the victory for themselves." rather than saying, we trusted in God, put our fate in God's hands, and God saw us through. And so there's a series of uh, things that God says to Gideon. And the first is this, he says, um, what you need to do is send home anyone who's afraid. And so he says, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back. Uh, And 22,000 men go back. Funny story. Years ago, when I was a student at Warwick University, uh, Monday uh, tea time, there used to be a Christian Union prayer meeting. And for whatever reasons, that prayer meeting developed a certain form of how it went for the hour that we prayed. That for for, for the first sort of 20 minutes, it was as if everybody prefaced and introduced their uh, prayers with a long explanation to God, not that God particularly needed to know it, of why they didn't want to be there. And, you know, people would, you know, so a typical prayer Billy, uh, Lord, you know I don't really want to be here, you know. Lord, you know there's better things happening. I could have been out with my mates. Um, but somehow I'm here, and so I'll pray to you. And it, it, was, it became like that. Every prayer meeting, it became almost a joke that that's how people began. That was how people betrayed their hearts at the beginning of the prayer meeting. I had a friend called Mike who, um, let's just say Mike was quite a bold character. So Mike led one of these prayer meetings and, he, and uh, so he stood up at the beginning and said, now we're going to pray, but um, some of you I know may be finding it hard because perhaps you've got something you'd rather be doing now. Some of you may not even know why you're here. Some of you may not even have faith to be here. Probably even right now you're wishing that you hadn't come, that you were doing something else, that perhaps someone else could pray. Does anyone feel like that? Does anyone? Anyone? And loads of people put their hands up and he said, brilliant. Could all of you lot just leave so the rest of us who actually want to be here can pray? Mike never got asked to lead that prayer meeting uh, again, but it was very amusing. Gideon does something very similar. He's a scared young leader who's not important, yet he's gathered a great army. He must think, oh, at last, we, we, we might be able to win against the Midianites. And God says, oh dear, if that army goes into battle, you will all think that you did it. Let's send 22,000 
people home who perhaps don't want to be here, anyone that's afraid. And then God says to Gideon, uh, to Gideon um, you've still got too many people. There's still too many people here. And he says, what you need to do is take all the men down to the riverside and they're all to get a drink. And Gideon's to observe who, um, who puts their head in the water and drinks it and who scoops it up and then drinks it into their mouth using their hand as a cup. And the ones that, it's quite amusing because there's the ones that lap it up, the ones that scoop the water up in their hands and drink from it, they stay. And the ones that put their head, you know, and drink into the water, they're to go. I've no idea why that was important. It's possible that the, the ones that scooped it up were, was, were really alert to soldiers. They were like, Do you know what, we're a fighting force. Even though we're having a drink, I'm not going to put my sword down. I'm not going to let my guard down. Maybe the ones who, who sort of put their head in the water and had a drink, or maybe they went for a little swim in the river, maybe they were the ones who just you know, kind of switched in and out of being the soldiers. Maybe Gideon needed to get the best of the best. Or maybe it was just random, and randomly Gideon just ended up with 300 of the soldiers. Nevertheless, he reduces his fighting force by a factor of 100. Then God says to Gideon, what you need to do, go at night, go sneak in quietly and creep up to the Midianite camp. And as he gets to the Midianite camp, he hears a Midianite telling his friend of a dream that he's had. And in the dream, uh, Gideon has a sword and Gideon overcomes the Midianite and they're all killed. So he goes back to his camp and he equips his soldiers. We presume they all had a sword, but it doesn't say they were given a sword. But they're all given a trumpet and a torch that's in a clay jar. So it's, it's, not sh- it's, covered, it's covered up and not shining out. They're divided into three companies, and then the next night they go and surround the Midianite camp. Uh, a large number of people, just 300 of them. And then their instruction was, at a certain moment, there would be a battle cry, uh, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They smash their jar, so they've all got their light. They're all to blow their trumpet. And as they do this as a united team, panic hits the Midianite camp. They go mad. They start fighting each other because there's chaos uh, and they run away. And then the fighting force is able to drive them out of the land. And in fact, that's the victory from which Gideon is given the title of judge of Israel. That he, he became someone who saved Israel because of his wisdom in battle. Following that, the Israelites pleaded that Gideon would become their king, and he refused, saying uh, he would be their prophet and their judge, but only God could be their king. Uh, he had 70 sons uh, from his uh, many wives, that's a whole other sermon, uh, and there was peace in Israel. So this battle produced peace in Israel for 40, li- 40 years during the life of of, the Gideon, uh, of Gideon, and in fact, it was only it was shortly after he died that once again uh, Israel was in conflict and battle again with its surrounding neighbours. I think the story of Gideon tells us um, that sometimes tough times grab our attention, um, and the backstory, the bit, the bit before that reading that we had, um, was that. 
Israel was doing well. Uh, it was a time of ease. The, the, the bills were paid. The children were doing well. Business is good. Everything's coming up roses. And as is the way of people, when time is good and things are going well, Israel forgot God. And they thought, God's not a part of our lives because everything's going well. Do we even need God? And they became self-sufficient and self-sustaining and they forgot that they had a God. And so it was God, in fact, that sort of shook up their lives in order that they would turn again to him. And Gideon was a leader for such a time as that. And he was young, nervous, and uncertain. But he sought God and followed an unusual path. And the headline was the commission that the angel gave him. That, that what would happen would be so, so unlikely to have been through either Gideon's skill or the size of the army that was gathered that actually only God could have done it. That God was, God was inevitably the hero of that story because no other explanation would fit. We're going to chat about um, Gideon in a minute, but I want to just give you um, seven quick thoughts, seven reasons for me why Gideon today is the hero uh, of my faith. And the first is this. Gideon learns, learns to trust God especially when he feels weak and inadequate. Um, it's great to have an honest portrayal of a flawed leader. He's not presented to us in perfection, he's presented to us in his weakness. Uh, second, he takes uh, unpopular decisions, but necessary decisions. It would have been a lot easier for him to have not done what the angel said, to not knock down the pagan um, uh, idols to, to not have gone into battle. But he stood by what God had called him to do. Um, third, he, he seeks guidance from God to make difficult decisions about the future. And again, that might be seem obvious, but that was the obvious thing that Israel had lost. They had stopped seeking after God for guidance for their future. Uh, fourth, he knows uh, that he can't do what he's called to do without God. Uh, and it speaks to all of us about the size of the vision that we have for our lives or the work we do or for our church. Is, is our vision such that people who observe it, if it happens, might say, oh, you did really well there? Or is the size of our vision such that if somebody watches, somebody sees it, they'll, they'll know, oh, you couldn't have possibly done that. So uh, glory to God, God must have made that happen. He knows that he can only do what he's called to do with God. Uh, fifth, he obeys, even when he doesn't fully understand God's plan. And you, you can see in his weakness, even some of that dilemma, where he's commissioned by an angel, for goodness sake, and yet he goes to God for at least three further confirmations. Is it, is it really true that you're sending me? Is it really correct that you want me to do that? Uh, sixth, he says focused on the mission, even when distractions come. And seventhly, he leaves a spiritual legacy for those that come after him. Uh, for him, that was 40 years of peace and good times for the nation of Israel returning to worship God. And Hebrews chapter 11 sums up Gideon's life as this. Gideon, whose weakness 
was turned to strength 